Hello, welcome to the continuation for the third season of The Work Item. What does one need to make open source code more approachable? How do you figure out which teams to join for maximum positive impact on your communities? And how do you build communities? These questions and more are the topic of my conversation with Monica Powell, software engineer extraordinaire, who also happens to be a GitHub star, an exclusive group of contributors recognized for their outstanding work in the open source software space. Enjoy the show. Welcome, 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 folks, to another episode of the Work Item Podcast, where we bring you insights about careers in tech from prominent people in tech and a prominent person in tech we have today, Monica Powell. Welcome, Monica. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, tell us more about what you're doing these days. Um, so I am currently a senior software engineer at Newzella working in EdTech. And I also am a GitHub star based on my involvement in the tech community. So um, meaning that I create resources and community and spaces to help folks who are interested in either getting started with tech, um, contributing more to open source, being involved within the React community, et cetera. I created a meetup group for women and non-binary React developers. So that's something that I've uh, brought online as well to reach a larger audience. Okay, so you're doing quite a few things, quite a few impactful things at that. Uh, tell me more about GitHub Star. What is that? I've I've barely I've heard about it, but I have yes. never talked to anyone who's a GitHub Star. Okay, so this is GitHub Stars is a program that GitHub launched in 2020, and so they selected a small group of people who they recognized had contributed to the larger GitHub community. So I believe initially there were eight of us who were selected, which obviously is only just a fraction of the amazing people within the different tech communities. Um, and it was just like a way for GitHub to officially recognize uh, these folks and also give folks an opportunity to connect with other people and potentially like amplify the, the things that they're doing within the community. Um, so through being a GitHub star, I've had the opportunity to really connect with other people who are in like completely different parts of the open source ecosystem. So whether that's security or 3D printing. So it's been a really um, eye opening, I think, to just be a part of like this community that is compromised of, of individuals who are of different communities within open source, since there are so many different types of things that may draw people to open source. And it's not just the little slither of open source that I'm actively involved in. Um, so that's been my experience with, with GitHub stars, being able to connect both with the community and then also having the opportunity to give direct feedback to GitHub about either current functionality or features that they're um, in the process of developing and wanting to be able to um, get feedback from some people who are really involved in the, the GitHub community. That sounds pretty awesome. So it sounds like it's a avenue to get feedback or give feedback for GitHub and also connect with community, which seems like a big part of the work that you're doing is uh, working closely with different communities and specifically web communities. What draws you to that, right? Because a lot of folks in the engineering side of things mm -hmm. typically think that, you know, like, yeah, I'll be working for my employer. I'll be building things, getting my promotions. Uh, you're taking the approach where you're also uh, very deeply engaged with communities. Why is that? What motivates you to do that? 
So I definitely think that I'm motivated to be involved and active in the community because that's something that was very helpful for me, especially as I was transitioning into working in software engineering full time. So being able to be involved in like a code newbie chat and connect with other folks who were also just getting started with uh, contributing in tech as either a software engineer or just maybe like writing their first line of HTML and CSS. So when I was first getting started, uh, really transitioning more into tech, I was very active in the in the code newbie community, uh, and that was actually I my first technical presentation I gave at Codeland uh, in 2018, I believe. And I did a workshop teaching other people how that they could use Jekyll to create a personal website. So I felt like that was a really great opportunity for me to, one, uh, teach other people, but then also it helped me reinforce what I know and then also made me feel more comfortable being more actively involved in these spaces. And that was right before I started working full time in software engineering. Uh, so it was also really nice knowing that even if you don't have a certain job title, you can still be welcomed in in a community and still provide resources and knowledge for for those uh, folks in within that community. How, how do you foster that? You know, the welcoming side of communities. Uh, thinking back to my early days as an engineer, mm-hmm. you o- often have that bit of pressure. It's like if I'm not a real engineer and all these people are doing all these like serious real <laughs> jobs, then I'm not gonna really fit in. Uh, how did you approach that? So I definitely think like doing things intentionally to make people feel welcome if they're either new to whatever technology or if they're a first time speaker. So I also have been involved with the Global Diversity CFP Day initiative. Uh, when I was uh, in New York, I host, I helped host or co-host a, a couple of the events um, and made sure that my meetup group was involved with that, with that um, event. And it's a global initiative to help people of various backgrounds, especially underrepresented folks, really put themselves out there and learn what it takes to submit a conference proposal to different technical conferences. And so I think some of it, some of, I think what can help foster more inclusive community is if you are hosting an event where you're open to speakers, like being open to having first time speakers, providing speaker coaching um, is also helpful because, I mean, I think anyone can benefit from speaker coaching regardless of where they may be within their speaker journey, but especially if someone is newer, I think that's something that can help people feel more comfortable with that. If you're hosting an event in uh, person or, or whatnot, I think it could be helpful to, the format allows really give everyone a chance to really introduce themselves. That's something I appreciated from one of the meetup groups that I went to. The organizer would have everyone kind of give like a very short introduction and also share what they're like working on that day because it was more of like a study session. And so that provided opportunity for whether someone was like learning something new or just wanted to like prepare for interviews or whatnot, like being able to naturally find other people who are interested in similar things. So I think if there's opportunity to either make connections within the community or to make it clear that you're open to new folks and that there's no like particular knowledge that's required or if there is at least being explicit in terms of what those expectations are can go a long way in making community feel like it's open to a wider audience because if if that's the audience that the community is trying to serve just making sure that's communicated you mentioned CFP, and it takes me back to just how intimidating it is to write a uh, 
a proposal for a conference. Like that stuff is not easy. Talking in front of a bunch of people is not easy. How do you help folks overcome that? The initial fear, right? Like if you're speaking mm -hmm. in front of a, even a group of 10 people, sometimes it feels like it's a nerve wracking experience. So I would definitely recommend folks start with lightning talks. So lightning talks are generally shorter than a full length talk. So a lightning talk could be anywhere from five to 10 minutes. So there's different formats for lightning talks. There's some which I think may be a little intimidating for new folks where it auto advances the slide. So as you're presenting, you maybe have like 10 seconds per slide. And then once all your slides run, your presentation is over. Um, but then there's also some that are a little bit more fluid where you have either like five to 10 minutes, uh, but you can pace yourself throughout uh, without having to go through the slides at a certain pace. And so I think that Lightning talks are a great way to, br to break into speaking because it gives you an opportunity to have the experience of going in front of an audience, uh, but you don't have as much material to cover. So I think it can be a little bit easier to like feel that you have like a strong grasp on the material before you're presenting. And in general, I definitely would say like prepare, like how much time you prepare for a talk definitely goes into how you, how comfortable you will feel presenting it in front of other people. So I would definitely encourage folks to, if they have the opportunity to present either to like the event organizers in advance to take that up as an opportunity, or even if a friend is available to listen to your talk, that can be helpful for kind of figuring out what parts may like sound a little awkward or the pacing and also get some feedback from a person because I've always found it helpful to get like some feedback earlier on. So then I can incorporate that into the final talk. Uh, so that's definitely something that I would recommend. You mentioned auto advancing slides and that even to me with some industry experience sounds terrifying because I don't know how easily catch up with slides that just keep going. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold, on, hold on a second. I, I just need to go. Yeah, no, I don't think I've done a talk like that, but I, I've seen them and they seem, I seem like kind of fun, but also kind of like this is a lot. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I, I need that time to kind of walk through and sometimes you have this random, you know, bit of insight that you're like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about mentioning this, but because of the time constraint. But we jumped right into kind of the, the community side of things and we kind of skipped over the one of the most important topics, and that is uh, how did you get started in your career? Uh, you know, you are at a kind of position where you are recognizing your community, your GitHub star. Uh, where did it all start? Um, so I would definitely say in terms of like where it started in terms of me being interested in the web was on Neopets. Uh, so they have like, you can use HTML and CSS to customize your Neopets profiles. So that was like my first foray into more like front end web development and trying to learn like, okay, if I want my page to look a certain way, like what CSS can I use and how does that affect different elements within the, within the page? And then when I got to college, I felt like I didn't necessarily understand like the connection between web development and computer science. But as I was advancing with it within my college career, I did end up taking some computer science classes and learning more about data structures and algorithms and working with Java. And so that was definitely an interesting experience. I enjoyed uh, definitely the programming side of, of the computer science classes that I took. And then after I, after I graduated, I then um, ended up doing a brief, uh, it was like a semester long over the summer, data journalism program 
that was focusing on if you want to collect data like from all these different public data sources so whether that's government is required to release like spreadsheets of data or potentially like scraping data from websites how do you get that data and transform it into a story and and that involves using things like python sql d3 and so i felt like that was like a really fun experience for me because i really appreciated that it was very like practical everything that we were learning was like how can i use this technology to get an end result of being able to transform a bunch of numbers into something that is more compelling and and will be more meaningful and impactful for folks that are viewing the finished product. And so that was a great like jumping off point for me as I started my career. So I went and I ended up going into digital marketing. So I was somewhat involved with content and I also very, very involved in our email marketing. So somewhat related to the, the data journalism. And then also I had the opportunity to code emails, which is uh, involves HTML and CSS. But emails are very, very different than web development in some ways in terms of there's a lot more email clients than web browsers. And you definitely have to be aware of different compatibility issues. So there's specific tools to test how an email will render across different email clients. And a lot of newer CSS isn't necessarily supported in, in email clients. Um, so definitely there were certain constraints that I had to be aware of, like as I was working in this environment. And so the more I was going into that space, I was really interested in getting back into web development um, outside of just the, like in email. And so I ended up pursuing an opportunity where I could do a an internship at a tech company meetup so that I could get experience writing software for a product. Because I think for me, as I was beginning to explore my options, I found that I felt like I had, I had enough information and knowledge about web development that it wouldn't have been worthwhile for me to quit my job and pay to go to a boot camp. But at the same time, I found that recruiters were looking for folks that had some experience. So whether that's an internship experience or other full-time experience, knowing that someone has translated what they've learned into being able to contribute within a team, being able to contribute to a product that scales. So I went into that internship really looking for the opportunity to learn and gain more experience so that I could be more competitive as I pursued opportunities. And for me, the internship, definitely, I felt like I learned so, so much during that time um, because it was it was just a lot, like, coming into a project where there's multiple teams that are contributing to this code base and there's maybe some legacy code and there's just, like, a lot of new things to wrap my head around. So I definitely feel like it was a very, very great learning experience. I would, it was almost like immersive uh, learning experience. I know uh, people say that's one of the best ways to learn a new language is to really like immerse yourself in that language. So I definitely felt that way a little bit with the, with the job that I had because I had to learn how to contribute new features. So I started off with um, contributing maybe to like, there's a defect, how do I fix this? But then eventually I needed to have like a better understanding of like how to build on to into the into the software so i definitely appreciated the experience that i got from that internship and then i actually ended up staying on full-time for a while and 
since then, it's been definitely a lot lot easier for me to get new opportunities. But I felt like the very first one, it was challenging because of my non-traditional background, which is why I decided to pursue an internship um, so I could get paid to learn and gain that experience um, that I really think helped me as I moved along my career in terms of uh, really solidifying my transition. From what you mentioned earlier, what stood out is that you kind of focused on the practical aspect of learning, that you're you're doing something not for the sake of just fiddling with a specific technology, but more <laughs> of like, I actually want to get something out of this. Like I'm trying to accomplish a task. Have you found that that is more productive when it comes to learning versus just experimenting with a tool, a programming language, a framework, mm-hmm. whatever that might be? Yeah, I, I would say definitely it's like a mix. I think for me, if I have like a clear goal in terms of what I want to accomplish, I can push myself a little bit further. Um, so instead of being like, okay, let me like see what this is all about. And then if, if something doesn't maybe necessarily work, or maybe if like, oh, I don't know if we if I can do that thing technology i feel like if i'm if i don't have a clear goal in mind it's easier to kind of like take these like shallow learning paths which i think can be helpful for just like they like getting more breadth of like learning more about a lot of different things but i think in terms of having like a deeper understanding and really getting into the experience of debugging and solving different problems that it can be helpful to kind of have a goal and not necessarily know like it should be easy or, but it might, like if it's not easy, still like going after it. Um, Cause I think that can definitely help a lot with, with learning um, whether that's on the job or, or outside of the job to um, take on assignments that will stretch you somewhat. You're also talking about email and I think folks underestimate just how many instances of Outlook 2013 are still in use that do not support flex boxes and all the CSS3 goodness and that actually crafting emails that are readable everywhere is a hard, hard job that is just, uh, you know, I have talking to some folks before, you know, like, yeah, emails, just, just throw some HTML, it works. You'd be surprised how much of it it doesn't work. And I am pretty sure that, is an aspect that is it's admirable folks that have that experience and have actually tried building something on top of that stack because it's yeah it's not easy yeah definitely (laughs) so why focus on open source that that's one of the again themes it seems like in your career is that you are Mm -hmm. working with open source projects open source communities why open source so i would say for me a big part of why open source is every company every large company unless they have a lot of like internal internal tools uh relies on some form of open source and i would imagine even those internal tools are relying on open source uh so i would say like as someone who is developing on the modern web i've definitely benefited from a lot of various open source software i've benefited from the documentation on well-documented open source software. So for me, an, an easy or, or a good way to get started with open source has been like, okay, if I'm reading the documentation and something's outdated or maybe something could be more clear, uh, submitting a pull request to fix those um, to fix those issues is something that I think can be an easy way to get started. Um, I know also a lot of open source projects can benefit from accessibility improvements. So I think just like trying to find small ways to contribute back to projects, um, it's also fun to contribute larger um, issues, like larger features to open source projects. Uh, it does take a little bit more, I would say, so either 
domain, like familiarity with very specific domain potentially, or um, having some exposure to like how the project works it also depends like how the project is set up in terms of how to quickly get up to speed and develop. Um, contributed to dev.2 at one point, which is a website where folks post their web content. So I might, that repo now, maybe like forum, I'm not sure. But I had noticed like they have these fun little badges that show up, I believe, on your anniversaries. And when I looked at mine, whatever color theme I had, the contrast was really bad. Like you couldn't read the, the text, which is an accessibility issue. And I think even for folks, who normally don't have um, trouble viewing text would have problems reading this text. Um, and so I took a screenshot of what I was seeing and I opened an issue on their project. Uh, and then they were like, oh yeah, this is an issue. Can you, can you fix it? So I was like, sure. And the project was written in Ruby and I'm not familiar with Ruby. Um, so I did have some questions and I was able to quickly get some help um, from someone who was more familiar with the projects and figuring out how can I locally trigger so that this um, badge appears and where might I start looking to, to um, update how it appears. And so even though I didn't have experience with uh, Ruby and I had never contributed to that project before, um, I was still able to contribute at least raising awareness that there was an, an accessibility issue. Um, and then once I was able to get some additional help from more familiar with the project I was able to actually contribute um so it really depends like how the project is set up if if they're able to support that or not uh, but I would say there's definitely a lot of open source projects that could benefit from contributions and a contribution could be something that takes multiple days but it could also be something that maybe took you like under an hour and I think it could still be appreciated as, as long as it's thoughtful. Um, I do have a post that I wrote about Hacktoberfest really encouraging people who are looking to contribute to open source and are excited about contributing to open source to also think about the maintainer and how maintainers often are, are maintaining projects for either no or, or low compensation. Um, and so as volunteers, uh, you have to be mindful of how, how you're like either features or requesting someone's time um, and, and making sure that if you are going to contribute that it's actually going to be something that is worth their while and sometimes there may be features that I think are great features but it may not be something that's aligned with what the maintainer sees for the future of that project um, so I think kind of just like managing expectations as a contributor especially as a contributor to a project where you're not super familiar is definitely helpful to set yourself up for success um, so that when you do contribute, it's welcomed and hopefully merged in within a reasonable time frame. Um, otherwise, I think it can be a disappointing if someone tries to um, contribute to open source, but doesn't really follow the like written or maybe it's written and they just haven't read it. But the unwritten um, guidance of like how to interact and engage with that project. So it is communication. It is basically communicate in the community to make sure they understand the goals of the project. And you're absolutely right. I can't, I think I lost count of how many times folks would, you know, just come in and be like, I want this feature because I'm depending on it. It's like, yeah, this is a project that I work on like once in two weeks because I have no time. So if you want the feature, you go ahead, you know, open an issue. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the design, but uh, 
that that's an interesting dichotomy that exists in open source because folks think like, oh, if it's open source, it means I can tell the maintainer what I want and it's open, right? You can make mm -hmm. not, not quite the same, not not exactly the same. Yeah, definitely. There's a book called Working in Public by Nadia Ekbal, and it really dives into the different ways that open source projects are structured. So I think that's definitely interesting for someone who's either interested in becoming a maintainer or being more involved in open source because it kind of talks about the how governance of different projects is, is different. Sometimes people just put up a toy project that was something fun for them to make on the weekend, but they have no intention of maintaining it um so i think it's definitely interesting to, to see like the different ways open source has been run like over time and how it also can change based off of the like ecosystem you're in like if it's mostly like javascript versus like python or rust there's some differences in terms of how those types of projects may be governed like in in the javascript community like just publishing um, packages is, is really popular and, and contributing to those but i know on other other systems it, or other um technologies it may be a little bit different in terms of how folks interact with different projects so what drew you personally to the web side of things instead of something like you know you mentioned uh maybe more client-side ruby or something along those mm -hmm. lines just like it seems like faster to get feedback i think working on the web in terms of like especially with like hot reloading and just being able to like visually like show somebody like i created this thing and like obviously there's more to that goes into that than just um just the, the client side code but i definitely felt like it, i've enjoyed like that part and i'm also i have like some interest in design and art so i think just being able to like visually make something look nice is something that i'm excited about um and then i know now with serverless functions uh there's definitely a lot more that you can do without having to like you can just write like javascript um and not have to worry about more traditional server side languages so i definitely have um appreciated playing around with that especially outside of work on my on my uh some of my personal projects how do you balance the time between work and personal projects what's your secret uh, mm -hmm. that's a good question i feel like for right currently it's mostly been like in phases especially with like everything going on in the world um so sometimes i feel like more inspired than others and then based off of that is like how much um energy and time i have outside of work um, to really invest into my the, the things that I'm working on. Um, something else that I found helpful was I joined a community called Party Corgis, which is a Discord community uh, for content creators of like all kinds. So I also feel like it's helpful like being a part of a community where as someone who's creating content, I think there's also a lot of like learning that you have to do like regularly so that you can learn cool new things to show other people or if you hit a roadblock being able to solve that um so i think also being in that kind of space has been really helpful so i can see like what other what things other people are working on and maybe get some inspiration um or if i'm having some issues with something being able to reach out to that community and have someone who has more insight or some thoughts in terms of how it could best proceed, I think has definitely been helpful um, so that it doesn't necessarily feel like I'm working through everything like by myself. Um, so finding that community, uh, which is nice because it's mostly like online or Party Quirkus is online. Um, so I know uh, when I was going to more in-person events, I feel like you, you meet people and like, you may or may not see them, them again, but at least online, you can really have that continued like 
hey, how's this thing going? That is a little bit harder person depending on like the size of, of the community and how often you go there. Um, but you could have someone checking in like every every day or every week or something, which I think is definitely like uh, a nice a nice sense of um, like accountability and community um, to to really see through see through things. So I'm seeing a lot of benefits of not working in isolation, not, you know, locking ourselves in a room and just coding on things. Instead, ask for feedback, find a community. How does one go about finding those communities, right? Like Party Quark is, is a good is a good example. Mm -hmm. If somebody's just starting out, where do they go? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say probably for me, when I was getting started, I went on meetup and I was able to find like local uh, events so there were different events maybe focused like for women in tech where they talk about specific technologies or there's text uh, uh, events that are centered on specific technologies um, so potentially like looking on a website like meetup uh, or if you follow certain people on on Twitter that you're like oh okay this is someone who I really like the type of content that they create. Um, maybe seeing like what types of community they're, communities they're involved in. Because I find like on Twitter, a lot of times people will share um, whether it's a um, a Twitter space or some other opportunity that's part of a, a community uh, initiative. So I definitely would say like to look out for that. Um, it, potentially asking folks what communities they're involved in. Uh, to get a sense of like if there's some that may be a good fit for for you so um i would definitely like recommend like twitter as a good way to kind of just like survey um what types of communities and spaces people are creating either like on twitter or off of twitter as well twitter is phenomenal for that because of just how accessible it is i find it a huge benefit to that entire ecosystem is that i can reach out to anyone uh mm -hmm. you know like i you know like found your work through Twitter, that that's oh, nice. that's where that, that's where this episode came from, right? So uh, Twitter is phenomenal for that, and I think most folks are very friendly. So if you can get over that initial kind of intimidating piece of like, oh, should I reach out? Should I? Yeah, you totally should reach mm -hmm. out. Uh, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Definitely, yeah. No, it is definitely interesting the opportunities that I've gotten like via Twitter because I know like LinkedIn is supposed to be like this professional network, but I felt like on LinkedIn, a lot of, maybe I'll, I'll get like, like potential job opportunities. Um, but on Twitter, I can get opportunities for like different like speaking engagements or things that are maybe like more one-off. Uh, so I definitely feel like um, there's more opportunity to really like find out about cool and exciting things on, on Twitter and also connect with people that like, maybe you would never really connect with them on LinkedIn because you don't have, Mutual connections on LinkedIn, which is like more closed, I would say, than Twitter in terms of being a network. Like on Twitter, you can see tweets from people that like are like four degrees of separation or three degrees of separation, whereas LinkedIn is a little bit tighter. So I definitely recommend um, folks leverage Twitter as an opportunity to connect with other folks within the industry. So tangential to Twitter and your work, you kind of mentioned content creation, and I'd love to learn more about that aspect of your work. Uh, how do you join kind of the the technical aspect and the content creation into this one amalgamation of awesome, you know, content for the public, blog mm -hmm. posts, involvement in GitHub stars? Like, how, what's what's your approach to joining those two? Um, yeah, so I definitely try like when I have when I've learned something new or maybe I've realized like, oh, OK, this is something I know that other people may not be familiar with. 
Um, then I try to like write up a blog post outlining what I've learned, like what my learnings were. Um, if someone wanted to do the same process, what are the steps that they would take in order to accomplish that? Um, so that's something that I try to do. So like I added, this was a post of mine that was, it's a little bit older, but I know it was popular at one point of how to add like a search to a Gatsby website. Um, so I was going through the process of like, okay, how can I just do this? Like, locally without having to use a third party for this the search i don't have a lot of content on my website um so i think just like more of like a like a more like diy search would be sufficient um and then i also went through like how i created the ui and um how i was handling javascript events and so that's been at one point it was one of my most popular articles um because i would get tweets from people who are like oh hey i like read your article and I was able to adapt what you did and um, implement search on my website. Um, so that was something cool. And I also feel like for me, it was a good way to, for me to document what I did. So that way, like if I ended up having a similar issue again, I could always go back to that article and like kind of understand, okay, how did I approach it at the time that I created it? And maybe what were some of the um, reasons why I approached it the way that I did? Um, I have a series with GitHub about, uh, like documentation and how that can really help advance someone uh, who's in engineering. So whether that's writing documentation in terms of like how a code works or whether that's documenting your, your wins or documenting your learnings is a big thing. So, um, that's something that I definitely like encourage. Like if you learn something new, document it. Um, I know there's Swix in the in the tech space who he talks about like learning in public um because it's really an opportunity for other people yourself for sharing what you've learned but you also as as you're teaching someone that forces you to reinforce your own knowledge and also if you have gaps in your understanding i think that it it helps because you'll either see them or you may get feedback from folks once you share like oh hey did you know x y and z and then um, that will get you further than if you just like kept the information to your to yourself. Um, so I kind of think about it as like documenting my learnings as a way of like creating um, more content, and it it kind of feeds well as opposed to like picking some abstract topic and then figuring out how to write about it. Underrated aspect of the internet is that sometimes when folks write like a blog post, the easiest way to learn that you're doing something wrong is to actually publish it. And then there's going to be plenty of people that say, hey, by the way, uh, you totally missed out on this other API that exists. Like, I did not know that API exists. Thank you very much. That definitely an approach that uh, works very well. And I would encourage also folks to like do document your findings because not the, e e if anything, it even helps you because I can't tell you how many times I will Google for an issue and then find out a blog post from myself from like five <laughs> years ago. And then say, yeah. huh, thank you, past Den. You really thought this through. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Looking at your career, I, you know, see a trend. You know, you worked at Meetup. Uh, you are focusing on kind of the education scene on Egghead. Uh, you even worked as an engineer for the New York Public Library. Um, I see this focus on kind of the, the public good. How do you make career decisions? How do you make decisions around what team to join, what company to join? Um, so I think for me, definitely a big thing is knowing that 
resonate with the the organization's mission. Um, so knowing that's a product that I believe in. So I definitely like before I joined Meetup, I was someone who went to a lot of meetups. Meetup was a big part of of my journey. Um, I lived in New York at the time when I worked in, at the New York Public Library. Um, so obviously, I, at some point, I was in New York Lib- Lib- Public Library patron. I remember on one of my birthdays, I went to go renew my library card. Um, so I definitely feel like I gravitate towards organizations where um, where that where I know that I'm excited about the, their mission because I think that's when I'll do my best work. Um, and then also organizations that optimize for learning, I think is something that is important for me, especially when I was earlier on in my career, like knowing that I would be in an environment where there's a lot of collaboration um, and learning is celebrated and um, encouraged. Um, so I would definitely say that has played into into some of the the choices that I made with my career um, in terms of figuring out like how can I find an environment that I think would best support me at that time. That is such a great approach and it's a very thoughtful approach to your career. I'd say it's not uh, not very common. With that, I have one last question. We talked about career. We're talking about community involvement, open source. If somebody's listening to this and they think like, wow, well, that sounds like all great. I want to do the same thing. What's some unconventional career advice you'd give somebody from your own experience that maybe is not something that is thoroughly documented or not necessarily Mm. obvious or maybe from your own lessons? What would that be? That is a good question. Um... I'm trying to think of like what I would say. So someone who's interested in contributing to open source, I would say if someone is interested in contributing to open source to really like take that leap of using open source software, really seeing like all the opportunities that I can like improve this software, whether that's the, the documentation or some technical aspects and doing some research in terms of how you can actually make that first contribution. Um, so if you are looking to contribute to a project, something I would recommend is, as, as you're looking at it is seeing do they what types of documentation they have. So do they have a code of conduct in terms of like how people should interact with that repository? Um, do they have contributor guidelines? So I know that's something that is common on, on GitHub where projects will kind of set expectations in terms of what they expect from contributors or how contributors can get started. Um, so I think really like taking the initiative to see what is what's involved in contributing to a project and like finding something concrete to contribute because no one is going to like really give you per- like permission, I would say, like until you at least act like, okay, hey, I'm interested in getting involved. Like, can I fix this thing? Um, there may be opportunities to be more vague in terms of like saying you're available, but if I think if you can be specific about there being a concrete thing that you want to help improve, um, that that would be well received. Uh, I know when I was interested in getting started with open source, I would go to these websites where they aggregate like all these issues that are supposed to be good for first time contributors. And I think that's a great initiative, but I would say one of the downsides is that on there, I don't necessarily have a personal connection to, I maybe haven't used it before. It may be a different language and I think it's more helpful or, or I think it's more rewarding to contribute to something where you've either like use the software or at least read the documentation and you're excited about it aside from being like, oh, okay, it looks like they have an issue that's good for first time um, folks. So I would say just like having on like some, some uh, glasses as you're looking at the documentation of like, okay, what are all the little things that may be wrong 
with with uh with this project or if there's any hiccups that you encounter like figuring out like is this an actual problem with the the software or is this a problem with the documentation or is this just how it's intended to work um so i think there's definitely a lot of opportunities to find to contribute um to open source um and you can also look at like the open issues for popular projects like I know I worked on for the React website, there was some additional markup that they needed for their international websites to make sure um, that it would indicate what language the page was in, which makes a big difference for, for screen readers um, to be able to pronounce the, the content on the page in a way that's more relevant. Um, and that was something that I wouldn't have necessarily noticed on my own, but because someone had documented an issue, I was able to work on it. I... Really appreciate the again the thoughtfulness to to the process of kind of even going and finding first issues. I think there's the site. I think it's even called something like Good First Issue. We'll link in the mm-hmm. show notes. Yeah. Uh, I think I remember our good friend Scott Hanselman talking about this at some point. Is like go here, and I was like, that sounds like an awesome idea. So we'll link to that site. Uh, and speaking of linking to things, Monica, where can folks find more about you online and uh, follow your adventures? Um, yeah, so my website is aboutmonica.com. And then I'm on Twitter at InDigitalColor. So uh, I would say those are the two places that are the best places to find me. And then if you're interested in like my GitHub or Colored Pen, you can always find those from, from there. I, I do enjoy like making some fun code pens sometimes. I wish I had more time for that. But I definitely recommend that is a good website if you're like just trying to tinker around with things. Fantastic. Monica, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you.